When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Last week you heard how the kingdom of God is like a master who hires workers for his vineyard, but then quite absurdly pays them all the same day's wage, that denarius. And as you heard last week, that, well, that story is an illustration that uses the patterns of our reality to teach the higher reality, the higher truth. It's not some fictitious story conveying some kind of religious or moral lesson, at least not that simply. Christ Jesus is giving us the reality of heaven in terms of the earthly. Of course, it's an outrageous or absurd story because this earthly is so fundamentally distor- so much fundamentally a distorted version of heavenly, that is, of God's kingdom. So these comparisons always kind of fall short, don't they? Because the truth is we live under a benevolent father, God, and under the rulership of his loving son, our king, and we are given to live and to move and have our, our very being by way of his spirit. But because of the lies of the deceiving contrary spirit, which led to the corruption of sin within us and upon the world, this analogy falls short, right? Our fathers don't always provide for us like God does. Our kings are not always loving like Jesus is. And our spirit, the spirit of this age, is hell-bent on death and destruction, unlike the Holy Spirit. It is a dog-eat-dog world, after all. That's why we can't really imagine a world so good as to have all received the same day's wage, like we heard last week, the same forgiveness, life, and salvation, despite and even contrary to the efforts or the strength of will or faith or even merit of those who worked in the vineyard. But as we heard, that's precisely the higher reality that Jesus gives us in his word. And then we live by faith in that word now in his church. And if you'll even get out of the way, a bit, that same crazy good world that Jesus reveals to us in his scriptures is actually already yours and already a part of your life, again, by faith. That means that doing the work the Father has given you to do, namely forgiving sins, you can go about forgiving people's sins left and right. You can go about all of your work confessing Christ in word and deed with hymns and songs and spiritual songs, whether they want to hear you singing it or not. But there is a confusion here, and we talked about this last week, but it bears to this week's story too. This does not mean, however, that in all things earthly, they can be lived according to the spiritual, the higher. That's because from Genesis 3, you can read, our physical lives are under the curse of sin until the day of the resurrection. We still, of course, then have to work hard to provide for ourselves and our families. Or as he said to Adam, by the sweat of your brow. So also our world is governed and disciplined by those whom God has given 
to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, earthly fathers and other sorts of fathers above them or below them. Also, God's Word gives us to live temperate, moderate, and reasonable lives. There's whole books of wisdom literature to help guide how we have to live under the curse of sin in this world and the direction God would give for that. It's called wisdom. As we heard last week, the gospel text is not usually a source of that kind of wisdom. Our hiring and pay practices cannot be in this life like that of the master and his foreman and with those vineyard workers. That would be a gross confusion of even the purpose of the comparison Jesus gave. He was teaching us of the higher reality, of the spiritual reality, not necessarily how we can live our lives in an earthly sense. No end of confusion then in the churches about trying to apply the gospel truth um, to things physical. The Apostle Paul had to remind Christian in, Christians in pretty much all the churches that he founded and of those epistles we have that they needed to be attentive to their physical needs. Not just because God promises to be, well, benevolent and generous and to shower the gifts of the gospel on us without end does not mean that we can be idle or lazy. I could spare you a long list of quotations, again, from the wisdom literature, be it Proverbs or Psalms, or from the prophets, or from some places in the gospel, or in the epistles. It's true that we believe that God can and often does work miracles among us with earthly things, but we can't count on that. We are called to be stewards of what God has given us, not what we hope that he might give us in the future. So here's an example. As St. Paul said to uh, the church in Thessalonica, that's to the Thessalonians. Right at the end of his letter, he says, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we not, might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So you can see how the church in Thessalonica took the gospel truth that God is generous and benevolent and gives, but then they use that as an excuse for laziness or idleness to be busybodies. And then to actually say, well, God demands that you give me bread, right? Because we're supposed to love one another, right? Hmm. You can hear echoes then in the parable of the sower. It's not about seed planting practices. Of course, any farmer knows that you don't just throw your seed discriminately, but you sow it where, well, where there's good soil. That part's obvious, right? 
Nor is he telling you how to sow so that you gain the maximum harvest. Or again, absurdly, throwing it everywhere and then expecting that God will just give you a hundredfold harvest. That's the wrong application of what is a spiritual truth to earthly matters. That's not the purpose of Jesus speaking. Of course, this hasn't stopped Christians from misapplying the scripture. The, well, heretical teachers, I call them idiotic. Heretical teachers tell you that fervent prayer will make you wealthy, healthy, and prosperous. You see, Jesus wants you to work hard, sowing seed, and then he promises you a hundredfold bounty in earth, in matters earthly. And maybe some of you have tried this, and I could probably find out how well it worked. Or maybe the problem isn't that we don't sow enough, it's just that we don't pray hard enough, or that we have doubts about its work. No, that's not what the text is about today, about sowing seed indiscriminately in this life and hoping that it works or even praying hard that it does work. He's not permitting you to be lazy, idle, wasteful, reckless, or indebted. Read the wisdom literature. He tells you not to be. It's okay, Amalia. (laughs) So as we heard last week, so again here this week, Jesus is using earthly contexts, terms, and characters, and situations to teach us about what we could not possibly know from our own reason or strength, but only by revelation and faith worked by the Holy Spirit. Seeds, sowing, and soil are all narrative devices Jesus uses to teach the higher truth and reveal the reality of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we need faith to be worked in us by the Spirit so that we can see, know, and comprehend what Jesus is saying. As he continues to say, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. What he's giving you to see in particular is that the work of his kingdom given to us here in his church, exercised normally by the office of the holy ministry, but also every Christian as an office holder in the priesthood of the faithful, is to sow the seed of his word. That's what we're given to do. We're called to preach, to teach, to instruct, to apply God's word daily. That word that has been written down for our learning, compiled into a codex of books we call the Bible. So like Jesus, we are given to speak God's word in truth and love to everyone, indiscriminately, without thought of what we think is going to quote-unquote work, or whether they'll like what we're saying, or whether hmm, they'll receive it or even believe it. That's not up to us. Our call is simple. Like Jesus is to preach his word, and he'll use us to do that. And like all other earthly work, this spiritual task or unlike all earthly work, I should say, this spiritual task we're given as Christians, well, it has many words of promise. So, we actually have a promised result, that God will work according to his good and gracious will. Or as you heard from uh, from Isaiah, I should say, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Another earthly story. What's the heavenly meaning? So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, 
but it shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Of course, we have to ask the question then, what does God's word promise to do? But to deliver you from sin, death, and the devil into his kingdom through forgiveness, life, and salvation. When it comes to all of our holy callings as Christians, be it pastor or priest, we are called to forgive, preach, and teach his word, and he promises to accomplish faith when and where he wills it. Faith that delivers all nations unto Jesus for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And then to this heavenly work, to deliver good consciences and trust and eternal salvation to all, Jesus adds many more words of promise so that you can be about this work with confidence, knowing that the seed that is sown will bear fruit. For example, Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, a future and a hope realized in Christ Jesus and his church. Or as Paul directs the Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is all things necessary for faith. Commit your work to the Lord and let your plans be established, said the proverb. Nothing will be impossible for God, said the angel to Mary. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Again, there could be a confusion here to take these words of promise that God applies to the work of his church in proclaiming, teaching, and applying God's word to our lives and to say that applies to everything that we do, earthly. That's not what he's doing today, any more than the sower is sowing his seed as an example for how to be a farmer. He is telling us, though, that the work that he's given us here, particularly in the church, has these promises And we can be confident that he will work through word and sacrament to accomplish his good and gracious will. God in Jesus will deliver his goods, his gracious goods of forgiveness, life, and salvation according to his word. And on that basis, then, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6, verse 9. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.